Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. Thank you for joining us for this sermon. You can find all of our sermons at holycommunion.net and our Facebook, YouTube, and podcast channels. Consider hitting like or subscribe. Consider sharing this sermon with others. It helps us to reach more people like you. We are so thankful to those who support our ministry. You can give today at holycommunion.net backslash give. Sometimes the most dangerous thing about power is not realizing that you are the one who wields it. This morning, we read two stories of outsiders becoming insiders and the disruption that causes in society. When the prophet Samuel went to the family of Jesse, waiting for God to show him whom to anoint as the next king of Israel. No one thought that God could possibly be looking for David. David the youngest, David the smallest, David the shepherd boy. Jesse brought his sons before the prophet Samuel one by one. He brought out the oldest, and then the next one, and then the next one, and then the next. He brought out seven of his sons, and even as Samuel dismissed each one, being told that they were not the one selected by God, it never entered anyone's mind. No one ever considered that he might be looking for David. It's wild to read. It is only after Samuel prodded Jesse, after he asked specifically if he had any more sons, do we learn that there is, in fact, a youngest child. And not only is there another child, but he had not even been told to come in from the fields. Imagine this for a moment. The prophet of God has come to your home looking for someone on a mission from God, and you proudly parade every one of your sons. And you know you have a son who's out in the fields. And even if you think it's unlikely that that child is the chosen one, you don't even send for him to have him join in the ritual of what is taking place, let alone have a flicker of an idea that this child, this young man, could be the one sought by God. So much so that you never even mention him. You have to be reminded of him. And then, when asked about him, he must first be retrieved from off in the distance, where he has remained oblivious to all that's happening with his family. And of course we know that when David is sent for and brought before Samuel, God tells Samuel that David is chosen and Samuel immediately anoints him in that moment. 
In our story, David is the outsider. He's the dark horse. He's not the strongest or the oldest or the most powerful. He's clearly not the most respected. His own father seems to barely think about him. And yet that is whom God chooses. Throughout our texts, God chooses to work through the unlikeliest of characters. Abraham is not the oldest child, nor is Isaac, nor is Jacob, nor is Levi or Judah, nor is Moses or David or Solomon. I remember years ago, I was participating in an international conference of Catholic and Jewish young leaders. And one of the Catholics turned to the Jewish participants and said, trying to be gracious, of course we have respect for the Jews. Pope John Paul II praised the Jews as our elder brother. And one of the Jewish participants, without missing a beat, said, but Father, we don't want to be your older brother. We have a long tradition of the younger brother overthrowing the older brother. <laughs> in the story we read this morning, David is an outsider. And in this moment, he becomes an insider. He becomes powerful, ultimately going on to become one of the most powerful people of his time. David became a mighty warrior, one of the most fierce fighters for God. And David also used his power to kidnap and rape Bathsheba and murder her husband by sending him to his death. It is impossible to tell a story of power without recognizing the dangers that can come with it especially when those who were once powerless are not mindful of what it means to hold power. Our second story this morning is of the person who is born blind, whom society thinks is somehow damaged, flawed, attributing physical ability to the virtue of a person or even their parents before they were ever born. The man has been relegated to sitting on the side of the road begging, begging because he needs support to sustain himself, having been dismissed by his family and society, left to fend for himself when there is no social safety net. But more than that, begging to be recognized as human as a person, as someone deserving of acknowledgement, basic decency, dare we even say respect. And what does Jesus do? It is not merely that he heals the man. As we know from this story and so many other stories throughout the Gospels, it's that Jesus chooses to see the people that society so often refuse to see. And not only to see them, 
but to sit with them, to walk with them, to engage with them, to touch them, to acknowledge their humanity, to see the spark of God that exists in every person. And in doing so, to bring them from the outside in. Like David in our previous story, this man has been completely disregarded by those around him. And even his own parents who have left him literally in the streets. They choose their own fear and need for self-preservation over their child. Jesus disrupts the order of society. He makes outsiders insiders. He uses his power, societal power and physical power, to literally change the status of those who sit at the margins. And the leadership of the community, the ones who sit in the seats of power, the ones who benefit the most from the hierarchical structures, are deeply troubled by this. They're angry. Because this disruption distorts the social order in which they sit closer to the top. Let me say that again, closer to the top. Because I want to be clear. The Pharisees, the rabbis, the leaders of the Jewish community are not at the top of this hierarchy. And in fact, they are far from it. The Pharisees sit at the top of a structure that engages in study and debate over Jewish law, law that many say becomes the foundation of modern-day Judaism, but a structure that in its time is a small subset of the Jewish community, and a debate that most Jews completely disregard and are not even aware exists because it is irrelevant to their lives. And even were we to pretend that the Pharisees hold the authority to which they claim as the arbiters of religious law and presume a world in which that meant something to a majority of the Jewish community, that authority would still constitute but a sliver, the tiniest of subsections of the power currently held by the Roman government. Because that's the thing about power structures. You can only sit at the top if someone's on the bottom. And you don't need to be at the very top as long as someone is below you. For hierarchies to be maintained, for someone to hold power, someone else must be powerless. And that powerlessness can be real or it can be perceived. Which is why people who seek power too often utilize fear as their greatest weapon. Because if a person can be convinced of their own powerlessness, nothing else matters. When David becomes powerful, Bathsheba becomes less powerful. Uriah becomes less powerful and David takes advantage of his power over them. Now I want to emphasize here 
that there is nothing wrong with pushing back against powerlessness and working to accumulate power. No one should ever feel powerless. And power is not an inherent evil. The question for us, the challenge for us, is what do we do when we have that power? Bathsheba is powerless against David. Uriah is powerless against David. But the problem is only manifest when David chooses to exploit that powerlessness, misuse his role, and abuse two people, literally assaulting them for his own personal and selfish pleasure. And so we celebrate Jesus pushing back against the structures of power and bringing this man who literally sits on the margins into the community, restoring his sight, restoring his status, and challenging those who would prefer to keep him out. But what does it mean if in telling this story and the message against fighting, the message of fighting against systems of power, we utilize words and images in a derogatory manner. Words like Pharisees or the Jews that ultimately serve to advance hatred, discrimination, and persecution against a minority religious tradition for 2,000 years. For too many, in our world today, we prefer to utilize a, narr a narrative of powerlessness. Believing ourselves to be weak, telling a story of others who are a threat to us as a way of maintaining our own societal structures, convincing ourselves that we need to utilize the power that we deny we even have to stamp down on another group of people in a misconstrued sense of self-defense that is in fact just our own mental pretense to justify our harm against others. And I use the word we here intentionally because it is far too easy, far too easy to recognize and name this behavior in others while pretending that we don't do it ourselves. But the most dangerous thing about power is not realizing that we are the ones who wield it. We wield this power when we seek to marginalize and criminalize trans youth and demonize the LGBTQ community in the name of protecting children. We wield this power when we seek to erase the racist and oppressive history of our country in the name of preserving education. We wield this power when we seek to advance a Christian hegemony across this state and across this nation in the name of the defense of God. And there is nothing more disgraceful to the honor of God. Throughout our texts, God chooses to work through the unlikeliest of characters, the weakest, the smallest, the ones most outside the fold. 
And so we want to see ourselves that way because we hope that means God chooses to work through us. We want to be the David who is anointed. We want to be the blind man who is healed. But sometimes we can be the Samuel who does the anointing. We can be the Jesus who does the healing. Because we do not need to be the powerless outsider to be a partner with God. Sometimes having power is the most holy of attributes. If we use that power to lift up those around us, to recognize the harm we cause, to name the injustice that surrounds us, and to bring into the center all those who are so easily ignored and who sit at the margins begging for our help. Indeed, when we do that, that is the best way we know how to emulate God.